Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. In this podcast, I interview Sonny Alves Diaz, the CTO of Pixelmatic. Sonny is based and has been living in China for the last eight years. We talked about his move from France to China, how he first got a job in gaming in China, and what the game development ecosystem looks like in China, both from a regulatory standpoint on what you can build and what you can't build and how you have to get it approved and how you distribute it to the world with the great firewall implications. We talked about uh, his strategy using uh, blockchain technology in games and how the future of games will look with respect to blockchain technology, not built on top blockchain, but utilizing tools uh, in blockchain. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Here is Sunny Alves-Diaz. All right, Sunny, um, excited to chat with you. Why don't we uh, take off where we left it on our, our pre-show conversation. Uh, you recently moved to China. You're now running CTO of Pixelmatic, a gaming company. Um, you previously lived in France. This is kind of as far as we got before, but I'd love for you to fill me in a little bit more on your your background, what it's been like moving to China, uh, joining this gaming company, and maybe comparing the 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 industry in China to outside. I'm, I'm curious to hear from your perspective, uh, having lived in that, lived in China now for a few years, uh, what your take is. Sure. Uh, so actually I've been in China, it's been eight years, I think, uh, almost eight years. Okay. Uh, uh, it's, uh, so, so like you said, I come from France, uh, I graduated in France and then I started working in France. Uh, but yeah, I, I did meet a girl and she happened to be Chinese and yeah, I, we decided to move to China at some point, uh, j- Arriving in China was very difficult at first. Uh, the, the, the culturally is very different from from the West. Uh, it's very very difficult uh, to uh, the first uh, days. Uh, like the the social etiquette is very very different uh, from the West. Uh, like you, you don't have to say hello. You don't say goodbye. You don't have to ask people how are you. You don't chit chat and such. So <laughs> it was. It was difficult at first, but you, you get used to it. Uh, and, uh, also, uh, when I, when we came to China, when I came to China, actually, I, I came with no jobs. Uh, so I, I kind of had a, a, a ticker on my head, a, a countdown because I had a, a short term visa and I had to find a job before the end of this visa. And, uh, by chance, yeah, I found something, uh, and 
uh, fortunately, it was in the, the gaming industry. So when I was in France, uh, I didn't have a chance to join the gaming industry, which was kind of uh, my goal for a long time. Uh, but I was kind of working in related areas. Uh, I did uh, a lot of stuff re regarding like augmented reality uh, with uh, uh, construction trade companies and uh, also some some simulation games for like a, a gas uh, power plant. So we were like training uh, engineers in a 3D environment of the power plant and such. It was, it was, was cool. So close to game and then when I came to China, I just, okay, let's do it. Let's just try to find something in the gaming industry in Shanghai. And I did find something. Uh, I had a chance to work with um, American McGee, who is uh, like one of the well-known people uh, in, in game uh, in China. And he was like working on uh, Quake, Doom, and, and all of this is very early uh, FPS game. So he was uh, a level designer on this game. So he was kind of a... A well-known uh, name in that field, and uh, the the experience was great. And something happened, which is the project I was working on got cancelled, and I basically got laid off after three months. Mm. <laughs> so I was somehow back squared one. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just I just I think I was very excited at that time to be finally in the gaming industry so i was very uh, pumped up and i just did so many interviews in in a week and how did you after find week, them like, i got a couple of offers what's the process is the process there go online is there some website you're going to how did you manage mm -hmm. not speaking chinese did you have to you know take a path looking for westerners in china like how, how was that more tactically the the very first at the very first, I found like uh, the name of the company was Spicy Horse from American Maggie. I find it online. Yeah. So my first experience with finding uh, jobs through the, the through uh, websites, basically, and uh, I could I could cite a couple. Uh, if, I don't know if you want to advertise anything. <laughs> uh, I, and I found them, but then once I was into the gaming industry, there's this sort of a networking. So, and especially in Shanghai, it's kind of a small community, but everything knows each other. So it was way, way, way easier to find something actually once I was in the gaming industry. And I also had somehow the reference from American McGee. Uh, so he introduced me to a lot of people. So I got a lot, some offers thanks to him from uh, uh, his network and also from other people from Spicy Yours at the company and also some stuff I find myself online. So yeah, uh, it, it was not actually... Finding the first job in the gaming industry was very difficult. Uh, it took me like more than six months and plus two months in China. But once I was in, actually, uh, I don't know if it was super easy. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. And how was it working? I, I assume the dominant cultural language within the organizations is Mandarin. Is that right? Or is there English? How do you manage the language gap? Mm -hmm. So, the like at Spicy Yours or in Pixomatic, where I work now, uh, it's the main, like the, the executives are are not Chinese. So basically, 
the main language in these companies were English. It's English. But definitely, you work with people that maybe are not super fluent in English. So yeah, you, you have to, you have to learn to understand different accents, uh, and to different, understand different, uh, I don't know, images, expressions, how people react to things. Uh, the, the cultures is, is very, very, very different. Uh, so yeah, you you get you get used to it, but uh, yeah, it takes time. <laughs> Are there a few that stand out in particular? And I'm also curious how that parlays into or affects the the game development itself. Is there a, a, a certain strategy for thinking about the the users being categorically different between Chinese or uh, not just the language, but you know some of the more subtleties of the design aspects or gameplay? I, I'd be curious what that what that looks like when you guys are making or designing these games. So, uh, I think like people in China, they are very into like the gamers. Uh, they are very into competition. Uh, I mean, in, in general, pe- males, I would say they are very into competition. They like competitions, like they they love NBA, they love uh, the games, the esports, and such. So when you do game for the chinese market uh if you have a, a competition element uh, that's 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 will help you to succeed i would say so and they they like also maybe it's a a bit of a negative term but they like to show off uh so they will like to buy stuff to show off, like, okay, I have this cool skin in League of Legends. You don't have it. So they like to show off and they like competition. And do you feel that's, uh, that's in, in, just universally? That's to me would feel like a universal, um, uh, quality of, I don't know if it's males in particular, but just of humans that you want to be in a sort of competitive hierarchy to know where you stand to then make quantitative progress towards some mutually agreed upon goal. Uh, I find that attractive and I think many, many people do. Is there, is there a part of, uh, you feel part of the Chinese, you know, an example of this would be, I, I saw an image one time of a, uh, a bookstore that had a bunch of magazines from, I think it was in Japan, but it would compare that to ma- the magazine shelf in like an American airport. And the difference of the design is striking. There's a, there's just conceptually, there's a lot more things happening in the Japanese desi- design. You might have, mm-hmm. you know, like 75 different people or images on one magazine where typically in the West, it's like, one person on the front of a major magazine, a couple pieces of text to lure you in. And it seems to be a fairly consistent user interface design. If you look at some of the big applications in the West, like Spotify, uh, Apple, iTunes, they tend to be large, simple, easy to use functionality that works best with a simple price point on you know, Spotify's $12 a month, but it, it more in the, in the East. And this is a broad generalization that I threw out there to really get your, your rebound on, but I've seen, uh, and YouTube is starting to go down this path where you have maybe 75 different monetization schemes on an app. And it might have like pay to send a premium content, pay to do this, pay for apparel, pay for premium messaging. And it's like, it's, it's, it makes sense to a user if they have progressed through the app. 
but it can be overwhelming if you're just thrown in there. And maybe that's just uh, what people expect. I don't know if you, if you, you know, in also living in China and using the different apps that are out there compared to apps that are more popular in the West. Well, um, it's, it's definitely different. Uh, I mean, like the, the, the environment, like the, the digital environment, the internet environment in China is very, very, it's, it's isolated from the rest of the world. And it's very different, uh, because most, I mean, uh, because of that, uh, it's like one of the reasons, uh, in, in terms of perhaps, uh, things are very, uh, I would say centralized, uh, nowadays. So like WeChat, uh, I, I guess you've heard of it, right? Is you do everything for WeChat. Uh, there's so many, uh, so basically it's basic, the main, the, the main function is, uh, instant messaging, right? But there's a lot of things, uh, in it. There's also like a, a, a wallet you can pay with WeChat, but there's also uh, a lot of things about like uh, dating or like things like Facebook. You have a wall, you have, uh, all of the ordering food app. I mean, there's uh, a system, a framework to build apps inside it. So it's very like, one of the main apps that everybody's used and everybody's kind of used to have a lot of things inside one place. Mm. And in the other apps, uh, like, uh, I guess you know also Alibaba, um, it's called Taobao, mm. the, the version of Alibaba, like the e-commerce stuff is also full of stuff. It's a very, <laughs> very, a lot of advertisement, a lot of information. And now they also have a lot of uh, videos and live there's so many people seeing stuff live nowadays. And so there's a lot of information, a lot of in advertisements. So, and I feel, I feel like, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's like at least a lot more from if I compare with Europe. I'm not super familiar with, uh, North America, uh, on that, on that point. But like if I compare to Europe, it's very, uh, there's a flood inf of information, mm. uh, definitely when you use uh, the Chinese apps. Why is that? Do you think that's a happenstance? Is it completely random cultural evolution? Is there some uh, pattern that you would observe about why that might be? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, maybe one part is cultural. Um, I, I have to say, I, 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 I've lived uh, also in, in Japan uh, just for some time, for some time, like six months. Uh, and I did feel, feel the same way in Japan in some way where they had also a lot of things. When you go in the store, you have so many uh, flyers everywhere say, trying to sell you something, something, something. It's like, and there's a lot of uh, no noise in the store. There's always this uh, pre-recorded sound like uh, to sell you, just to try to sell you something mm. and same in China. So one part is cultural and, um, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe somehow I'm, I'm not sure I'm here. <laughs> I'm generalizing, uh, I, but I feel like maybe people also in, like in China, they're not as, uh, 
they're kind of okay with advertisement and being flooded with uh, information. If you own crypto and leave it on the exchange where you bought it, like Coinbase, that is a mistake. We've heard the news lately. Exchanges closed, accounts frozen. We're learning the hard way that crypto on exchanges is not really in your control. So what can you do about it? Well, you can get a crypto wallet and control the crypto yourself. And that's why today's show is sponsored by ZenGo. These guys realize that storing Bitcoin and storing crypto yourself can be difficult. It's risky to keep private keys. They realized this and said there's got to be a better way. So they created a crypto wallet that is fully recoverable. So say goodbye to lost Bitcoins. And the security of this wallet is incredible. It's a hacker's worst nightmare. They use a three-factor authentication, including 3D biometrics, so no one can access your wallet except for you. And Zengo realizes that at different levels of the crypto journey, you have different needs. So they offer 27 support and have real people that are available to contact directly within the app. They have a bunch of different coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tezos, and more, and they have all sorts of NFTs available as well. So now for the first time, you can keep your crypto safe with the same tools that the big guys have used for years. Download Zengo, that's Z-E-N-G-O, and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's $20 back for your first purchase of $200 or more. Use code ATC and check out Zengo. Do you think it's a file in Europe and such? It's... Not like that. <laughs> Do you think it's a function of the, I almost would maybe trace it back to the regulatory zoning laws and construction. So if you have a extremely dense population, uh, you're, you're kind of become acclimated to this uh, incredible information throughput that you're constantly being exposed to. There's so many different, as you walk out your house to it, you could almost like draw a, a, a metric where you say, how many people do you encounter do you see on your way from your house to the nearest food location? And you know, how many people per square mile uh, or kilometer are living in a certain area? And as there's just more people, there's more stores and you become more acclimated to that. And there's a more, there's a higher tolerance for having more exposure to like super, super dense information. And maybe, you know, maybe people handle that better. It would be my theory. Like if you go into a store in the countryside, maybe even in China, maybe it's quieter. Maybe there's less noise, less advertising, less less products, simpler. I could see that being a sort of a consistent theme through it. Yeah, yeah I think you're touching a point here. Uh, I, I think people, yeah, you're, you, I agree. Uh, like people in China, they are used to the crowd. Mm. There's a crowd everywhere you go in a city. There's a lot of people, and they they like it, and they like to be in the crowd. And and, and like a lot of people, like a lot of Chinese friends I have, and even my wife, sometimes they would be scared if they go somewhere and there's nobody, mm. like there's no crowd. Like they would feel like it's uh, it's uh, boring or it's scary because they would feel like okay, I'm alone, I'm <laughs> feeling lonely, or maybe uh, like uh, it would be scared of being attacked or something so yeah they definitely uh like in my experience from friends coming from a very small town where it's much not much people and being very fine with being alone in a in a house i i don't see that much uh things like i mean people like me i would say in china where they, they love the crowd they love going out see a lot of people 
So yeah, most people do. I, I most people you like you right. say. Most people enjoy the density of it. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. And how about uh, I- impact on design? When you design, um, you know, at Pixelmatic, you guys are making this this game Infinite Fleet, which, in my understanding, is not quite launched yet, but it's in development. Um, when you're designing this game, is this? And correct me if I'm wrong there, but I- I'm curious to know if when you're designing this game, is it designed for a specific audience in mind, or how do you split up the audience? If it's culturally, if it's by some other measure, like tell me a little bit more about like the psychology of game design too. I'm really curious about. So in our case, like for infinite fleet, it's, it's not really designed for a specific like uh, culture. I would say it's more like designed to appeal to uh, nostalgic people of the, the, the eighties and maybe a, a bit of the '90s and all of the like Jap animation, uh, and um, there's also some uh, some some bits of like Star Trek and like all of the the sci-fi series. Uh, and we're trying also to put a bit of Dungeons uh, and Dragons, so it's a bit of a a mix, I would say. And uh, we're trying to be universal, but we're focused to this um, audience. Like nostalgic people from the eighties, nineties, and and such. Uh, and to answer to the like for for China, uh, if you design something for China, you I think if you know day one, you will uh, have your app or your game in China. You have to you have to research about regulations and how things need to be uh prepared well because something that might be fine in the rest of the world is pro- probably maybe not fine in China so like if you do a game and it's like a an action game where you are killing some zombies or some some skeletons for instance i think like bones are forbidden or maybe the blood is forbidden also in China so really some there are some regulations like that. Yeah. So is it true to so say you, that no no video you have games, to no video games in China would have blood in them? Yeah, I think I think they would remove the blood, or eventually they would change the color. But I think it's just they would just remove the blood. Interesting. So you have to. I mean, if you know you're going to into the Chinese market, I think you you need to prepare upfront. Uh, that will save you time, and. Another like difficulty to come into the Chinese market is like uh, I said a bit earlier, it's isolated. Like the internet in, in China is isolated, so you need to have a, a local infrastructure. So and for that, you need to have a local partner actually. So it's 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 a bit difficult. Uh, you need to find the right partner, and you need to deploy this local infrastructure that will be isolated from the rest of your other infrastructure. So technically, also, it's a bit uh, it's a bit difficult. Sorry, just so you're just on the same page. So this would be you're talking about the server. So where the game is hosted in the cloud is going to be on a particular mm-hmm. uh, ser- uh, server company yep. in China. This t- when I'm thinking of these server companies, I'm thinking of AWS, uh, Google, you know, a- a- Microsoft, Azure. Uh, do these companies operate in China? Is there currently a presence of U.S. based? 
tech companies having cloud infrastructure in China or are they all Chinese companies? And, and what, I mean, what, why would the relationship matter? I'm picturing it to be, you know, set up, automated, simple to use. Mm-hmm. So uh, first thing first, uh, there's no Google. Uh, like Google is <laughs> really banned from China mm. somehow. Uh, and there is uh, AWS. Uh, and there is, I think there is also Microsoft Azure, I think. I'm not entirely sure, actually, to be honest. But there is AWS. They have two data centers in China. Uh, I don't remember where exactly. But if you are a foreign company like, like AWS, you want to go into China, you, there's very, very few options. And, uh, maybe the easiest option is to do a, a joint venture. So you have to find a local partner and build up a joint venture with them on the Chinese on Chinese soil. So uh, it's not easy. Hmm. Got it. Okay. So from your perspective, you're choosing different providers and you're building out the game. So you have to make a good decision with, and w- what are the kinds of things that matter? I imagine this is a challenge that just about every other tech company encounters because they're all going to be building in the cloud, not just gaming. Are there, I'm trying to just, I'm just speculating here, but are there things that like uh, backdoor loopholes to governments that are concerning or potential internal policies of the cloud provider that they might shut you down if you have blood in the game automatically? I don't know. know. Like, tell me what you usually think of. So, So the like in terms of games uh first thing first is you have to get the license basically uh every games that are officially published in china they have to be reviewed so for sure you have to get through this review process first which uh, at that time they will verify everything and make you comment if there's anything else you need to remove or adjust and once you pass this review then you're kind of good so you can publish the game in china and wow good and this uh, is a, this is the state department is reviewing every game the the government is yeah wow yeah. they must have a lot of people doing this then and i think there's a lot of people but actually there's very very few games that get uh, accepted wow. and i'm not sure about the recent numbers but at some point they didn't accept any game for like a year or something and recently also they also um adopted a law that forbids uh, uh teenagers i think it's up to uh 18 years old maybe i don't remember to only play a maximum of 3 hours a week so there's also this sort of stuff yeah if you publish your game in china you have to uh, uh, add these modules or is this, this a way to collect uh, identity information from the players and then you need to be able to be accountable uh, if there is anything that goes wrong mm. you need to be able to retrieve the information of the users that maybe said something wrong on the chat and you um 
Yeah, sorry, I lost uh, my train. Yeah, you have uh, to be able to retrieve the information of the users in case they said something wrong. And also, I imagine you as the game developer have to be able to block them for more than three hours a week if that is a, uh, a Chinese government yeah, policy. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Are there a whole yeah. bunch of things like that? Like they block the number of hours, they block certain things you can say. I assume you have to have your own internal review process for complaints about other users, and there's some protocol through which if somebody says mm-hmm. something, I don't know if it's specific words or like if they're criticizing the government, if they're making fun of each other in some way that's not acceptable. Is it a complicated, I'm picturing in my head, it's like a complicated soup of mess that you have to deal with as the game developer to figure out, should we ban this person? Should we report them to the government? Should we, and it, it, is it as hard and complicated as, as I'm picturing it? It's it's definitely a cost, uh, and it's definitely definitely difficult. So, it, uh, like I said, if you actually, I, I miss one part, which is if you want to publish in China, you need to go through a, a Chinese publisher. So, basically, your Chinese publisher, this company, will they will help you to do these kind of things. Uh, they very often they have staff that can help you to add this part of the. Uh, modules you have to add on your game they can provide you all of the 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 blacklisted words and all of this stuff so they will uh they will definitely help you but all of these things come with a cost right so uh you you have to know that there's a some some sort of a upfront cost uh, to deal with that yeah but not a problem the way you the way you're describing it seems like well just an extra five percent cost you tack on an engineering team and so on with life. D- is it nerve wracking at all to not have a game license approved for a year? Is that a big deal? Or the way you're saying it, it just kind of sounds like, well, and also curious, what's a game? Like, is it a game? Can you launch a web-based game? Does it have to be console-based? If it's like uh, an app in some app store, is there is there a definition to where, like what platform a game has to be reviewed by government? I think it would include uh, like PC games, console games, mobile games. Um, maybe not all mobile games. Um, let me think. Um, I mean, mobile games, uh, yeah. Maybe you can go through yeah. uh, without getting the the license i think you could yeah you could you could find your way uh somehow so is there is there a if you really want to be like featured uh on the top of the chinese app stores i think you you, it's kind of a requirement i would say yeah 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 and is there a bottleneck to games do you see like uh some impact where the gaming environment is somehow constrained by only a few games people aren't getting access or they're backdooring into games in the West through VPNs and other ways? Yeah, I mean, the, the gamers, <laughs> they find ways. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's true. And, uh, but it doesn't work every time, right? And the finding ways comes with a, a cost also. It's like you, if you want to play a multiplayer game, then you will, you won't have a, maybe a good experience. So, Maybe it's better just to play on the on the local version. Yeah.
uh, yeah, yeah. Did you want to add anything there at the end of that? Oh. Um, if not, I'm curious to ask you more about the philosophy of, of the crypto parts of the infinite fleet. Tell me where you are with this, how big the project. I know Pixelmatic has raised about $4 million. Correct me if, that, that, if that's wrong, but just paint me like the scope of like how many people, where are you guys in this progress? How much will it take to, to launch this game? What do you kind of hope the game does in terms of volume? Mm-hmm. So actually we uh we just released yesterday the um, a beta like closed beta version of the game so it's closed as it's not open like not everybody can access it um now the the way to enter the game it's uh only if you buy a spaceship so it's a spaceship games you have a fleet of spaceships and you you are part of um, this um, like military government that is trying to save humanity from uh, uh, some bad aliens. It's a bit a bit cliche, but there, there's, there's more to it. <laughs> and um, you, yeah, we raised, uh, we did uh, two fundraising. Uh, like we didn't go the the traditional way. Uh, we went with uh, an STO. So a security token offering. This uh, security token is representing um, a part of uh, of twenty percent of the benefit um, annual benefit of the company, and also a part of the the capital upon like a, a liquidation event. So it's it's really like a security. It is treated as a, a security and is, it is registered as a security like a, in Luxembourg. And with this STO, we, we, like I said, we, we, we had two rounds. So the first round was like a, like a seed round, we can say, and the second one like a, a series A. So in the seed round, we, we got 3.1 million USD, I think. And uh, the series A is not finished yet, uh, but so far we raised 4 million. And, uh, we are partnering with Bitfinex uh, to uh, finish this race. So uh, we we have a yeah we have a page on Bitfinex, and uh, soon we will be releasing the uh, like opening the the end of this STO Series A uh, on Bitfinex. And oh, we are also so Bitfinex is for Europe. And we're also partnering with INX in uh, in USA. So the 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 project started like a, a while ago, actually, uh, like in in twenty sixteen, uh, if I do remember. It it's uh it's really like a the dream project of the our CEO Samson Mao, uh, which was uh, also the, the ex CSO from Blockstream, and. Um, it's really is a is is dream game is uh is baby and uh we started from like a, from a very simple version i would say we started with prototyping and we actually tried s- stuff on mobile first and uh we also built a, a first trailer that would just give the 
overall uh, art direction and and where we want to go and like give a taste of the game to to people that will watch it and with that yeah we 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 we've been able to do this first sto and then after the first sto we've been able to build a a, a lot a much bigger team so at first we were like 10 people even less working on the game after the the seed round we've been able to increase to almost 40 people and we released uh, an alpha version that was also closed, so it was also accessible to a, f- a few people. And um, yeah, now just now yesterday we released. So I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a bit I'm a bit tired because of that. Also, mm. I released uh, the, the this closed beta, and now we are uh, going onto a, a two month cycle. So every two months we're going to release new updates on the game, and um, so now to speak about the the crypto aspect about the game, the 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 philosophy behind it is that we we didn't want to be a blockchain game. Um, the there's a lot of problem with like blockchain games, and uh, I can, for instance, I can I can mention like a. a What's his name? Uh, CryptoKitties, where when they launched, uh, there was so much hype in the beginning that they basically congested the Ethereum network. And it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a pity that a game could put down a network of payment, right? So if you imagine you you couldn't use your Visa card or something because there's this game. That yeah, it's is crazy. Very yeah. simplistic. Terrible. But you can't play yeah. the game, and right? We just That's take the, down the f- the flaws, the design yeah. of the crypto network. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, in terms of gaming, also, this if you're on the blockchain, you come with all of the constraints from the blockchain. So everything is slow. Everything require require a cost, right? If you want to do something, you need to pay a transaction. You need to wait 10 minutes on Bitcoin. You need to wait maybe 20 seconds, one minute on Ethereum and on some others. So it's, it's, it's not made for much game. Like in, in uh, and especially like in our case where it's a, it's a action strategy game. So it's a bit actiony. You need to do some quick reaction and such. So if you were to wait some time, between two actions, it would be it would definitely kill the game. So we first we took the decision that we want to put crypto in the game, but we don't be we don't want to be linked to a blockchain. We don't want to the impact and all of the slowness that can come with a blockchain to be on the game. So how we decided designed it is that it's co- decorrelated from the game, and what we have is. We have two things in terms of crypto things. We we have a, a currency, which we call the the INF token, which will be distributed to players through the particip- participation in the game. So, in the game, as I said, it's a space a spaceship game. So you will partner with other people and you will take on missions. So it's it will be a bit like a the raids in World of Warcraft, for instance, where you you team up with people and you go do some sort of 
not dungeons in our case, but some missions. And then at the end, you, you have a reward that they will be shared by everybody. And we will have a, like a, not guild systems, but we call them uh, divisions, but it's basically guilds where people will team up all together and, and share the pot. And maybe guilds will be able to own space stations, own planets and such. So the, this currency will be distributed to people through the participation, getting, winning, earning the missions. And then we, when they have this, money, they will be able to use it and spend it into uh, the, the player-to-player or the peer-to-peer marketplace. So in this marketplace, every player will be able to list a ship that they have for a certain amount of this currency, the INF token, and the other players will be able to shop these ships and basically exchange. We're also considering to put some other stuff, like, like parts of ships uh, or some items. And uh, on top of this INF token, the, we decided for all of the, the paid ship. So we have paid ships. Like I said, now to enter the game, you need to pay a ship. We, for this paid ship, you will also, that are like somehow premium, you will also have an NFT. So this paid ship are on the opposite of the free to play ships. We will have free to play ships. They will be free, but this spaceship that you pay with fiat or with bitcoins and such, you will have an NFT. And then when you do the transaction on the marketplace, you will do actually an atomic swap between the NFT and uh, the INF currency. Got it. So it's going to be like an instant exchange. There's no third man, third party. And so there's this kind of a, like an extra security. Because it's like a premium ship, you don't want to, you don't want to sell it to someone that is a bit maybe shady and and through like a, a PayPal transfer or through emails or whatever you you pay, and then you send the ship and or you send the ship and it never pays you here because you the somehow the protocols enforces that you is through atomic swap, you know that you will get what you're expecting for, and all that is built in the game, the exchange. Yeah, so the marketplace is not finished yet. Mm-hmm. We actually, we just started working on it. Uh, all of the crypto stuff actually is still not released yet. Um, we are, uh, in the finalizing the, the legal structure for it. So we are actually opening a, a company in El Salvador that will be the, the publishing, um, company of all of the crypto tools uh, for the game. So wow. why El Salvador? Uh, and how El Salvador? Uh, basically the the we 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 do I mean our CEO Samson Mao is very connected to El Salvador so he has a he has a network he knows people there so this definitely helps to open the door. So yeah we we do have a um, contacts there that help us to to do that. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Gotcha. Okay, and I assume that's for some Bitcoin crypto regulatory impact to what you're building. Mm-hmm. Got it, got it. Where it's yeah. better to build in El Salvador than yeah. China. Interesting. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the impact that the metaverse technology of completely immersive VR, indistinguishable from reality that we live in, what do you think that technology, when it really hits kind of a critical mass, and I, I view it as if I can put the glasses on and I, I can't tell the difference between this life that I'm experiencing and life inside the the experience with the glasses on. How will that impact gaming? How will it impact life? Do you think it's underrated or overrated with what people are talking about? That's that's a that's a good question. Um, there's definitely one thing that is for sure is that games are more and more immersive and more and more realistic uh if you look at the the latest uh unreal 5 i don't know if you're mm. heard of it unity the zora engine uh no unreal 5 oh, unreal, yeah. they, they have something called nanites yeah and they made a something called a, a matrix demo i think it was for the actually the matrix 4 i don't, I don't remember where they simulated a whole city and plus their latest engine, which is very graphically impressive. So, yeah, you 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 can def- we we can definitely see that in the future things will be very very more and more close to reality uh, in terms of like rendering and and looks, and it really works for the visuals and also the audio. But then that's, that's it, right? So all of your, or their senses, they're not very, um, uh, can I say involved in this experience? So like your, your touch is still not, it's not something very common to have like, uh, what we call aptic equipment to feel something. Uh, there's a lot of companies that works like on, uh, uh, Haptic, uh, you say, yeah, jackets, costumes, or something yeah. where you you could feel right jackets. Yeah, that's that's cool, but I, I don't I, I don't think that will be, I don't think that's going to be the future. Like, <laughs> do, do, will you have to put the VR set plus the jackets? Yeah, and still, then you you don't you don't smell, you don't uh, feel the heat or things or humidity. Uh, I think there's still a somewhere something that will be disconnected from reality right if even if you are in virtual reality because you're you are not feeling the heat you're not feeling the this this bullet that you just should have touched you've been killed with or something right so i i do feel that it's not it's never going to be unless we have something like in in movies where you can just plug your your brain directly yeah, to something, yeah, yeah. maybe. Uh, yeah. 
that does seem like the. But that's another. That's another thing. There's there's a lot of smart people working Maybe. on technology <laughs> right now. Right, Neuralink is a pro, it's a project mm-hmm. that actually currently connects yeah. the neurons of pigs to the system, and they can like visually see. So it's you can at least get an, a readout, which a readout would be crazy. I mean, imagine instead of the input to the computer game being a controller, it's like some API to the mind where you have like, okay, I have some basic settings that it's, it's, it's wild, but I can certainly see that happening. Uh, the other way around would be, I mean, that's, that's hard to fathom the impact or the practical nature in which the, the technology of sending an input into your mind. Like if you wanted to feel a gunshot, well, I mean, could you could you stimulate the right neurons in your mind to feel that or to bump up against something? I mean, that's exactly as you say, that is the matrix at that point, which I would imagine mm-hmm. even as you get close to that, even if you don't have smell, touch, uh, you're still taste, you're still getting the two primary uh, sensory domains through which we interpret reality, which is visually and audibly. That, I mean, that, that to me seems like, I don't know. I mean, do, do you do you see it as just being a straightforward path of like, oh, games will get just more more immersive, or or does something like categorically shift when you get to a game design that's indistinguishable from reality? Like an example might be people start to care less about base reality, like they're 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 totally captured into this new world. I I don't know. We're kind of getting into the realm of science fiction a little bit, but it's not far off so we're yeah we're kind of like touching the the subject of metaverse almost right yeah 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 but it's like it's strange because it's 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 creeping up right it's at one point it's far away but the other point it's like you know is it how far away is it and there's gradual steps on the way there yeah i mean um i i think it's is probably already the case somehow, and uh, I think maybe myself I'm already somehow in that case in the sense that I I grew up with internet. Uh, I was as a teenager, I was really into internet, and internet has always been a part of my life, and uh, I'm not saying that I'm not uh, like not uh leaving my house or something or like a very uh introverted guy but i do definitely prefer uh the life on on internet compared to the reality Mm. because the thing that i like in internet is um there's no frontiers there's no barriers there's no um um, as you say, uh, prejudice, prejudices. Uh, so basically, when I think of internet, I always think of when I started using internet, where it was just nicknames. Mm. It, it was only chats. You were chatting with a nickname. You don't know if it's a, it's a woman, a man, other age, or anything. You're just chatting with a person, right? And that's the thing that I like, and that's definitely the thing that make me stick into internet mm-hmm. and kind of like prefer the internet life compared to the real life because in real life you 
I mean, to be honest, you can be impressed by someone because he's just a bit taller than you and you will, you won't be able to be yourself. Maybe you will be a bit intimidated, intimidated by that person or maybe because there's a lot of situations where you feel that, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's life, right? But on the internet, it's so much easier. I do agree because it's just nicknames. There's no, it's just, mind mind talking to another mind yeah. and what you're describing here i think is already happening with just internet it could be just text uh mind talking through through emails or through chat right so going into the metaverse going into the 3d yeah definitely i think it can go in into that way and it can maybe hook more people mm. but i think it's already just already happening uh, right now, do you see do you see a potential danger, or do you have a, a potential prediction about the way that the internet community is developed uh, as it pertains to the fi- the Great Firewall? I mean, if if China is completely locked off, it's such a large population of people, and there's so many smart people and so much going on there that it, it starts. It's almost like a you know, it's like a bit bit chain for a Bitcoin fork where you know if if it's separated for long enough then then merging conflicts happen do you see like how do you, how do you sort of project is our vpns the future where people are just kind of getting through and then like connections are happening so there's enough cultural uh like pass through um do you see it going the other way where it's like a completely different world developing in the internet in china versus the rest of the world Yeah, I mean, there's definitely disconnect, like I said earlier, and I, I think it's not just not just China. I think there's not just there's a lot of countries that are blogs, or maybe it could just be a culture, right? Maybe because you're speaking a specific language, and you're only like ten thousand people that speak this language, and you will have a very small space on the internet, right? So, and they will develop differently because it's a different culture and such. So yeah, it's a, uh, things will be different. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and definitely some things will be misunderstood because people are not that close because there is this virtual, fr- uh, frontier, I would say. Uh, so yeah. yeah. Do, does, do you see it culminating in a particular predictable th- theory of like, okay, is there growing tensions? Does it just two side? Because to me, I'm like, okay, if there's this inevitable firewall, the reality of the internet gets, the internet gets more immersive, there's more games, there's more incredibly captivating experiences, people are more consumed, and they identify more in that space than they do in the physical space. As that just keeps marching on decade after decade, is is there a growing separation where it's like it's almost like you're in another world if you're on one side of a firewall or the other uh do, do you have any i mean having lived there and and seen yeah i mean to to be honest like i said earlier is everything is different yeah 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 <laughs> already from the beginning right so it's the culture are very different the social etiquette like i said is very different so from 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 the very very beginning is things are different so uh will the like the great firewall impact or increase that uh the differences i mean, I mean 
it's already there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it just maybe it, it slows down the the communication or the the throughput. I don't know. Throughput, yeah, maybe the the connections mm-hmm. between the the cultures, yeah. Well, I hope it remains peaceful. I hope it's it's used as a tension that can grow mm-hmm. almost the polarity of human creativity, and that the things that do get through uh, are 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 in a way I could see good ideas being shared on either side. It's like uh, it's like I'm almost picturing like if you have two uh, non connected lakes and you have like different biological systems in those lakes, you have different fish, different birds. Eventually, there's more like there's not a lot of crossover every once in a while a bird to fly over to the other lake but they're so far apart that there's independently uh creative design process happening the fish look different the birds look different the different patterns and you know maybe that's a good thing maybe it's it's just a world of more um unique uh creativity that would be the optimistic perspective <laughs> yeah um but regardless, Sunny, congrats on the progress with uh, Pixelmatic. Do you want to throw out anywhere where you are personally on the internet? We'll have links for all the Pixelmatic uh, stuff in the show notes. But are you tweeting or writing anywhere you want to put out? Yeah, sure. A um, few people can follow me on Twitter. Um, my nickname is Sony underscore AD. And I have also have a blog if you are like a, a developer. Uh, it's more like a, a developer blog. So if you're into technical stuff, you can follow me on my blog. Also, it's a uh, Sony dot l v a l v e s d i dot a s. Cool, cool. Well, congrats on all the progress, man, and I hope to uh, hear when you guys launch and other new exciting updates in the future. So thanks for hopping on today, Sunny. Cool. All right. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Winner.